Well, our study this morning is on a topic we don't talk about very much. Uh, I think I've only given a talk on it once uh, over the years. Uh, but let me begin by mentioning a topic we talk about all the time, and that is trusting God. Uh, we do trust God, and we should. But that's not, again, the topic this morning. The topic this morning could be expressed as a question. Uh, can God trust me? Can God trust you? So we're thinking about trust going in the other direction today. Uh, we're going to look at a few concepts first, then we're going to go directly to the Bible. We're going to get a biblical taste of this theme. It is in the Bible. And then think a little bit in our remaining time about what it has to do with how we think about ourselves and how we live. I'm not used to being electrified here, <laughs> connected to some things, which means I can't move around, but uh, I think I'll manage it. <clears throat> okay, so first some concepts. These are concepts we're all familiar with, but it's worthwhile to review them briefly before we uh, go directly to the, the Bible itself. Uh, first, a distinction, important in life, a distinction between believing that and believing in. Now, believing that, or propositional belief, is a huge part of life. I believe that today is Sunday. I believe that Orange County is in California. I believe that two plus two equals four. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and so on. Propositional belief, belief that. Now, belief in, which might also be called faith in or trust, is closely linked to belief that or propositional belief. Now, sometimes we have trust or belief in something or somebody without a proper foundation, but that's not the norm, that's not the standard. So let's look at the standard. The standard is that if I have belief that, propositional belief about something, that will serve as the foundation for my belief in that something. When we finish here this morning, I'm gonna to go to my car because I believe that is a reliable car in good condition. And because I believe that, I believe in my car. Simply put, I trust my car, I have faith in my car, I will walk to it, and I will take the next step. When you move from belief that to belief in or trust, you move to the next step, which is entrusting something to that you have trust in, committing something of value to the object of your trust. Uh, so if you commit yourself to your car, you entrust yourself to your car to uh, take you where you need to go. Now these are simple everyday concepts. We depend upon them and yes, they are found in the Bible, no big surprise. Uh, in that. Now, if we had a lot more time, we'd talk about uh, having belief in or trust in people or things when we shouldn't. Either we don't have proper beliefs that about them, or uh, <clears throat> we have simply ignored that question altogether. But we won't go into that. We'll talk about the standard case. So let's look now at the Bible, and we'll start with uh, John chapter 2. Now, in John chapter 2, and no, we're not going to look at the whole chapter, just a brief part of it near the end. I'll read starting at verse 23. 
Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs, miracles, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And though I probably in our day don't need to say this, but the word man here for Greek anthropos, the Greek word means human being, it doesn't mean males. I think that ought to be understood what we're talking about here. Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. That is to say, Jesus knew that many of these people who according to the text believed in him because they'd seen him perform miracles didn't really believe in him. He knew what was in their hearts. So he knew that about them. Therefore, he did not uh, have belief in them. He didn't trust them. He didn't entrust something hugely valuable to them. That is, he didn't entrust himself to them. This was a case of the Son of God not believing in certain persons. We need to care about God believing in us. That's really what today's lesson is about, being able to trust us. Here, Jesus does not believe in most of these people and therefore does not entrust himself to them. Now let's think about an everyday example of this. There are many parents and grandparents, maybe some great grandparents in this room. Uh, you have memories of young, when your children were very young and there were perhaps a few hours when you needed someone else to take care of the children, maybe a lot more than a few hours. So you needed to have somebody to do that job. And so you needed belief that certain things were true about the person you would select as a uh, babysitter, let's say. You needed some beliefs that, preferably true beliefs that, about uh, that person, which in turn would lead you to believe that that person was trustworthy, which in turn would lead you to belief in, that is trust in that person, so that you would entrust something of value to them, namely, you would entrust your children's care to them. Uh, there's a lot of that in the Bible, not just about parents and children. Remember, God is our heavenly father. He uh, cares for us and he cares about the people who cares for us too. Can he trust them? Can he trust us with people who are entrusted to our care? This is a broad theme here, which we can only uh, touch on today. Uh, so we see then in John chapter 2 an example of the Son of God not putting his trust in certain people, the people who in some sense believed in him. But now we want to look at the opposite and the more cheerful example by going to 1 Thessalonians. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now 1 Thessalonians, as you recall, uh, Paul, who wrote this letter, uh, was the founding uh, missionary for that church, and so the people there knew him, uh, and he makes that clear in this letter. Um, and the city of Thessalonica in ancient Greece, by the way, it's still an important city in Greece to this day. Uh, and the Thessalonians, Christians there, are very proud about First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, so we're going to read some of what Paul says, particularly just four verses, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And what we're going to see here is these themes of belief that, 
belief in, trusting, and entrusting uh, from God's side, not from our side. By the way, if you were in the 8.30 service and you heard the kids do the, the reading of scripture, uh, a couple of them, I was amazed. I thought they did a better job than most of the adults. Better job in the following sense, not, oh, how cute, but you actually, I found myself listening to the words that they were reading. I was, I, I was kind of almost blown away by it. Uh, that was a side remark, okay. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians. Now, again, uh, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. He is, of course, geographically removed from them, uh, but he's deeply concerned about them. Uh, and they know him well for the time he spent with them. But throughout Paul's ministry and through Christian ministry from then till now, uh, pastors, missionaries, and so on, Christians in general often have their witness uh, challenged or uh, attacked, uh, not believed in by others, and it is often necessary to defend a Christian witness by defending those who bring that witness. And so part of Paul's concern was to uh, defend his own apostolic ministry, and that was not about protecting his career as if it were all about Paul. It was about Jesus and he was a representative of Jesus, chosen by Jesus, and that's what he was engaged in. And so if anything damaged his career, it damaged the reputation of Jesus and the work of the church. And that's what Paul cared about rather than about himself. And that's an example for us. And how do we know that Paul was such an exemplary person? Well, we know it here from this text. Let's start with verse 4. He says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Uh, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Notice, uh, approved by God, God who examines our hearts. It's the same Greek verb, two different English translations here. It's a flexible kind of verb. Uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians that God himself has examined Paul and his associates, he's examined them and he has come to believe, that, well, from eternity, we're talking about God, to believe that Paul is worthy of this apostolic ministry. And so he approves Paul for this ministry and entrusts to him something valuable, namely the gospel, the message about Jesus, the message about his son, God's son. And uh, Paul says this here in verse 4, but he doesn't just say it. You know, only God can say something and let that be enough. Us mere human beings, unless we're just giving testimony, like saying, I have a headache, that's just testimony, you don't need to back it up. But anything else, we need to back it up. He says, God has approved me, he's examined me, and he's approved me for this ministry. Now, Paul is concerned to prove that what he has just said that God believes is true. And he does that in the verses that we're going to be looking at here closely. That is to say, he's going to prove what it is that God believes about him, what, believes, what God believes that is true of Paul, and why God in turn puts trust in Paul and commits the ministry to him. 
So continuing with verse 4, he says, to be entrusted with the gospel. You trusted your kids to a babysitter, for instance. That was a big move that you made. Uh, God himself is entrusting the message of his son uh, to Paul. And while you might have made a mistake about a babysitter at some point, God does not make a mistake when he approves someone. Uh, He knows what's in us, just as Jesus in Jerusalem in John 2 knew that a lot of those people who in a sense believed in him were not genuine believers. Their hearts were not what they, where they should be, and God knew this. Jesus, knowing this, did not entrust himself to them, but uh, he does entrust the gospel to Paul. He's entrusting something of value. That's verse 4. Now, so a little overview here, and then keeping my eye on keeping my eye on the time. Now, throughout 1 Thessalonians, Paul defends his message and ministry by reminding the Thessalonians who knew him what they themselves already knew. That is, Paul and his associates proved by their behavior that they were approved by God and had in fact been trusted by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And so that the Thessalonians should continue to trust Paul. So you see, if God trusts you, you are trustworthy, you prove that by how you live, others come to trust you because God trusts you and is at work in you and has something to say that people need to hear or to engage in a form of care which people need. You see how it all links together. So it's very important that God trust you and me, but if he's going to trust you and me, it's not just that, we've been, that we're forgiven sinners. No, it's the saint side, not the sinner side, that is stressed here. Now, Lutherans believe Christians are saints and sinners simultaneously. Well, that's true, but it's the saint side that we're looking at here, and this is hugely important if we're to be effective in our lives. And so what Paul does in these next verses uh, is to give a series of evidences or proofs that he is trustworthy, that in fact God has approved him, trusted him with the gospel, and that they need to trust him. One of the things we know from just from reading the New Testament, we can go to the Old Testament as well, that God's message to the world is continually hijacked or hacked. Uh, We could use contemporary technology language for some of this, uh, by uh, by fakers, by charlatans, uh, by liars, by distorters of the truth. One of the ways of knowing that you are listening to someone who is approved by God is by looking at the behavior of that person. Jesus talked about that. You shall know them by their fruits when he talked about beware of the false prophets. To this day, we need to beware of even very nice people who are not in fact approved by God. They do not represent Jesus. We need to be on the alert. We very much need to be on the alert about that. And Paul cares about this here. Now, Uh, There are about a half a dozen, uh, or actually I think there were seven here, uh, proofs that Paul gives the Thessalonians of his uh, trustworthiness. And let's look at them briefly. Uh, uh, 
We'll begin with verse 3. He says, for exhortation, this is another one of those Greek words, not the English word, but that could be translated in a number of ways. Our exhortation, our appeal, the message he's giving uh, does not come from error. This is the first one. Uh, I was going over my notes, but I, something just clicked in my mind. I want to be careful here. Error here almost certainly means falsehood. He's not giving them false teaching. He's giving them the truth about uh, God, the, about the message of God's Son. <clears throat> and this comes out <clears throat> strongly in verse 13. And for this reason, we also thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you received it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. So Paul is appealing to what the Thessalonians know. The Thessalonians heard the message from Paul. They recognized it as being from God through Paul. And this in turn confirms their belief in Paul as a legitimate messenger of God. You see the link. He says, our exhortation does not come from error. In other words, we told you the truth. We told you the truth. We were not false prophets. We were not false teachers. And you know that because when you heard the message, God himself let you know that it was the truth and confirmed it. And next he says, uh, see also from verse 3, our, our, our message, our, our appeal to you was not from error or impurity, probably means morally impure motives. And uh, <clears throat> uh, this is actually, this might be the warmest uh, of Paul's letters in terms of his emotional link to the people that he had uh, brought to Jesus uh, when he says to them, you know that my message was not uh, from impurity, from impure motives, that the motives were right, they know it because of how he and his associates behaved. He said, we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, verse 7. Having such a fond affection for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our, home, our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. So the Thessalonians knew from Paul's behavior that he was approved by God. He wasn't doing what he was doing from the wrong motives. He deeply cared for them. That was a sign that Paul uh, was approved by God uh, and what he was doing was what God wanted him to do, wanted them to do. And verse 3, it wasn't by way of deceit. Uh, his exhortation, his uh, appeal was not by way of deceit. Uh, that is, they were honest. Uh, God trusted Paul. They could trust his honesty too. Uh, then, as now, there were plenty of uh, religious teachers and dare I say it, politicians and others uh, who were not honest and uh, were deceitful uh, and they knew from their experience of Paul 
that this was not true of him. God trusted Paul and they could trust him too. And now verse, from verse four again, this one I gotta be uh, careful with because uh, I could mislead you and I don't want to do that. That would not be good. Uh, verse four again, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Now this word so, by the way here, in other words, in the way God wanted me to do it. This is the, how I'm speaking. He says, not as pleasing men, that is, uh, but pleasing God. <clears throat> so in our contemporary language, he's saying uh, he wasn't a people pleaser. Now here we have to be very careful about this because we use the term people pleaser in part as a label for a type of personality. You know, there's some people who just really, really want to be loved or everybody love them and like them and so forth and kind of desperately afraid that people won't. Uh, and that's not evil. That is just a way that some people behave and have a certain temperament. And that's not what Paul is talking about when he says uh, not as, that his way of speaking was not as a matter of trying to please people. Uh, he was not trying to, uh, he, in other words, he's speaking against what a kind of thing that they would have had some experience of, a kind of speaker or teacher or leader whose aim was entirely to get other people to support them, like them, uh, hire them, uh, back them up and so forth. Uh, all that they did was aimed at getting people to come on their side and uh, support them in one way or another. It was all about themselves. It was really uh, a self-oriented, selfish kind of thing. And that's, uh, even if it meant lying or cheating, that kind of people pleasing, pleasing uh, people rather than God uh, was not true of Paul. And how, how was it that they knew this? Well, this is a complicated subject, and so we have to be careful. Uh, we don't have time to go into it, but 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23, if you're taking notes, you might want to note, yes, Paul does seek to please people in the following sense. He looks at people, at various people and cultures and situations and so on, and wants to reach them where they are. He wants to be, as he put it, all things to all people. That is to say, he wants to reach them with God's truth, and so he's very concerned about reaching them. In that sense, yes, he wanted to please them, but he wanted to please them because his fundamental motivation was to please God, not to please people, that is, in order to benefit himself. This was about carrying out the message that God had given him. And so uh, he... Uh, was not a people pleaser in this self-regarding sense. And they knew this about him. God trusted Paul and they can trust him too. And this comes out, for instance, in verse five, he says, we never came with flattering speech. Uh, you know, one thing, first century Roman Empire, uh, uh, there was a lot of interest in styles of speaking and speech and so on. There was a long Greek tradition of this too. And if uh, you wanted to be a the equivalent of a politician then and so on, uh, uh, you wanted to be the equivalent of an ancient attorney and so on, you had to flatter people. That, that was just standard. You had to do a lot of flattering people and Paul didn't do it. And if your aim is to please God rather than to please others to benefit you, at times you're gonna say things that people don't wanna hear. 
and they're going to turn away. And this happens to Jesus himself. He says, John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And you remember what we read in John 6? Many said, this is a harsh statement. Who can listen to it? And many of those called his disciples stopped following him. That's John 6, all the way back to John 2. The crowd, many believed in him because they saw his miracles, but they didn't really believe in him. And Jesus knew that, so he didn't entrust himself to them. He did entrust himself well uh, to the disciples that stayed with him that he knew were the genuine article. So we didn't come with flattering speech. Then the sixth uh, proof here, I'll look at the time here, uh, not, nor with a pretext for greed, uh, greed here probably, well, the word means desiring more of whatever, but specifically probably money. Uh, you can make note, Acts 20, verses 33 to 35, uh, Paul makes it very clear he wasn't in it for money. Uh, you know, I'm a philosophy professor. One, in the history of philosophy, the great patron saint of philosophy is Socrates. And in Socrates' day, uh, the public speakers and popular teachers were known as sophists, and they were paid. They got money. Socrates didn't accept any money. He was kind of a weird guy also, but that was one of the differences. So Paul wasn't in it for money. He wasn't in it for greed uh, at all, and they knew that. They would have known that. Remember what Paul insisted upon normally was working uh, to pay his own way? I remember Mother Teresa once. She got a, a Nobel Prize. We're going to have to fly to Norway. <laughs> she was, and she wanted to work her passage. Could she be a a stewardess or something on the flight attendant on the plane. Uh, now, it's hard to imagine someone with that mindset, but she had that. So, but anyway, Paul uh, had not a pretext for greed, and they knew this. Now, don't get the link here. This is what each one of us needs to desire for him or herself, to be someone that people could, God trusts us, they see what they see in our lives, and so they trust us. In turn, we help, we then help them trust God, and they may in turn help us trust God. That's how it fits together. Now, this next, this last one, verse 5, is an interesting one. Um, verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. And it's an interesting Greek expression here that it is very close to what we call in English throwing your weight around. Actually, it's almost literally that, throwing your weight around uh, to be weighty. Uh, Paul knew himself to be personally appointed apostle of the Son of God through whom the universe was created. That's a very, very high rank. And he knew that. And he wasn't into it, except this was his calling, and he was going to fulfill his calling. And they knew from the way Paul behaved that he wasn't strutting around saying, hey, now, now that you believe in the Son of God, I'm a personally appointed apostle, so let's bow down before me here. No, there was none of that, and they knew that. Uh, they knew instead how he and his associates had behaved among them. He wasn't expecting them to uh, uh, sort of bow the knee to him. Okay, looking at the clock again. Um, so, quick review and then quick application to us. Um, so, our theme is uh, the question, uh, can God trust you, can he trust me? 
Now, in one sense, uh, a God, of course, can't be fooled. You and I can be fooled. So when the Bible speaks of God examining our hearts and so on, it isn't as if God's trying to figure things out. This is a way of, uh, of trying to condescend to our human limitation. God knows everything. So God knows our hearts. He knows our hearts and... Um, if he imposes trust in us, it's because he sees something good in us. And you say, yes, but we're all sinners. Yes, but we're sinners forgiven by God, the Holy Spirit working in us, changing us. Not just sinner, but also saint, set apart for God. And so we should surely, each one of us, desire to be someone approved by God, trusted by God, for what he brings in our lives. You and I aren't apostles, but we have people in our lives we can influence. We have various responsibilities. Uh, till our dying breath, we have that. We have many opportunities to live up to the trust that God has placed in us. And if we question whether God can really maybe trust you or me now, well then, again, that's the center part of us. We need to seek to, to increase and grow. But it seems we ought to be ambitious here. Again, looking at the time, um, if this had been a two-parter, we're going to do something different next week, but it's in a two-parter. Uh, there's some interesting statements in the Bible about ambition. There's bad ambition and good ambition. And part of what God calls each one of us to is to be very ambitious for him. That is to say, my goals for myself need to be closely tied to God's goals for me, and I need to be very ambitious about that. Uh, and again, we could look at some passages on that. There's not time for that this morning. But uh, here, uh, Paul is ambitious for the gospel. He's ambitious for Jesus. He's ambitious for the Son of God. And uh, the way he lives and his associates uh, uh, demonstrated to the Thessalonians that God had, in fact, approved them, examined them and approved them uh, as someone God could trust, uh, believe in, in a sense, God believing in Paul and his associates, and therefore entrusting something of great value to Paul and his associates. Well, that gospel is entrusted to us too, even though we're not, uh, uh, we're not apostles. Uh, we are still Christians. We represent, uh, we represent Jesus. Um, Uh, yeah. yeah, now I'm not using my hearing aid. Whoops. <laughs> you know, this is a problem. I'm being <laughs> recorded, and uh, I do have my hearing aids here. So let me just see. Otherwise, I can't hear you. No, that's all right. That's all right. We live in an electronic age. <laughs> let me see if I can do this. Okay. All right, all right. The Apostle Paul, did, whoa. <laughs> Boy, I can hear myself, yes, sir. Okay, I'll hold it. Uh, okay, or put it in your pocket. I'll hold it. Okay. Okay.
Oh, it came loose? Okay. All right. Okay. So I can actually walk yep. without destroying. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, uh, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because it comes out very strongly in the first chapter. First uh, Thessalonians chapter one, after he says verse three, your, your work of faith and so forth, knowing brothers beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. In other words, Paul and his associates discovered when they went there that uh, they weren't just going through the motions. They felt the Holy Spirit very powerfully among them, knowing that God was calling people to himself. And then in chapter two, verse 13, uh, well, the short answer to your question is, I think you, you, you gave it yourself, and that is the Holy Spirit had worked in the Thessalonians so that they recognized that what Paul was saying was true. As for their reason and so on, I'm not sure quite how to respond to that, but it was definitely a matter of the Holy Spirit having convinced them that the message was the truth. So that they actually Right. In other words, as they spent time with him, he spent time with them. They had ongoing confirmation that not only that the message was true, but that the messenger was a genuine messenger and a good example to them of how they were to live also. Yeah. Um, let's see, we don't have a lot of time left, but if anyone else has a question, we'll do it. Otherwise, uh, some of you might be in the 1030 service. Uh, so, uh, we didn't pray at the beginning, did we? We didn't pray. Let's pray as we close and then see you next week. So let's pray as we close. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your uh, unchanging word. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit will help each one of us uh, to be more and more what you want us to be and to give us uh, confidence in what you have us to do. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.